Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly L.A. Rams podcast, bi-weekly during the season. We are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome, Ram fans, to episode 39, and we've got our game recap for you. Wasn't that fun? Rams go into Seattle and win once again, this time 26-17. A strange win. Not far off of my prediction of 31-20 in favor of the Rams. This one, the Rams got off to a really slow start offensively. Seattle actually led the game 7-3 at halftime in an awkward affair. But Stafford and the Rams torched the Seattle Seahawks in the second half. TDs by Daryl Henderson, Tyler Higbee, and Sonny Michelle. A big day for Bobby Trees, Robert Woods. A forgotten man finishes with 12 catches for 150 yards. Another day at the office for Cooper Cup. Seven catches for 92 yards. Matthew Stafford, 25 for 37 for 365 yards in a game that he actually looked a little bit off, especially early on, threw for one TD and had one bad throwaway in the end zone that was intercepted. But the big play of the game, a momentum changer, was that pass to Deshaun Jackson, a 68-yard reception that really seemed to get the Rams going. That's why they brought him here, and it's working. The Rams got the running game going, too. Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle combining for 119 yards on the ground. But what's my takeaway from this game? My takeaway is this. This is one of those games where a lot of things went wrong. But the better team hung in there, held the line, and had all the answers in the end for a big win in front of a hostile crowd. That means so much for this team moving forward. I have to say I'm a very happy Ram fan this morning. I've been saying for a couple of years, even though the national media is just now catching on, the Rams are a far better team than Seattle. But Seattle's a good team and extremely difficult to beat in its home stadium. They have this magic about them, and they know they have this magic. And they have some darn good players, especially on offense. But that offensive firepower and whatever magic they get at home wasn't enough this time. The far better team wins going away. I'll recap my Fearsome four keys to the game. See how I did on that. Number one was we had to limit those big plays between Wilson and his two wide receivers, Lockett and Metcalf. I would call that a draw. We did an okay job with that, but Metcalf still got loose a few times. Beat Robert Rochelle for a touchdown. Tyler Lockett drew that pass interference call. I wouldn't say we completely succeeded, but we didn't completely fail either. Number two was red zone efficiency on offense. 
I felt that we needed to come away with touchdowns. Well, that didn't work out in the first half, but it certainly did in the second half. And number three, I think I nailed. I said we had to survive the swings, those momentum swings that happens in Seattle games. And that happened. You know, there was a couple times in this game where I was feeling really downtrodden about how this game was going. And the Seattle crowd was stoked about the way it was going. And then, boom, Stafford gets it going. Rams drive the field and score. That certainly would happen a lot in the second half, and I think it was a key to the win. And number four was frustrate Russell Wilson, and we did. Put him on the ground a few times and eventually knocked him out of the game. I'd call that frustration. He certainly looked frustrated on the sideline at the end of the game. Of those four fearsome four keys, two we completely succeeded at. One, no in the first half, yes in the second half, and the other I'm going to call a draw. So obviously this is a huge win, a bounce-back game for the Rams. What's great about this win, obviously, not only do we improve to 4-1, we drop Seattle to 2-3. They could be in trouble. And now we get that sweet spot in our schedule. The Giants, the Lions, and the Texans. Let's not take any of them lightly. Let's get the 7-1. I think this team learned their lesson last year losing to the New York Jets. Next up, we're going to take you through the entire game blow by blow, kind of recount the drives for you, and we will follow that up with some more game notes, our first and four big plays of the game, Coach's Corner and all that stuff we usually touch on. We'll have a real quick salute to the Dodgers, and we also have our Week 5 NFL straight-up picks. And please check out our pet peeve this week. It happens to be about blocked punts. What a coincidence. That pet peeve was recorded before this double punt we saw in this game, but I think you'll find it interesting. Kind of has the same gist. through this first half. A kind of an ugly first half in a lot of ways. Both teams' offenses moving in fits and starts their first couple of possessions. Rams punt, Seahawks punt, and Rams punt. The first real change in momentum came on Seattle's second possession. They drove to the Rams 29 and on a fourth and two, Alex Collins was stuffed and the Rams took over at their own 30. Rams couldn't take advantage though. That was the drive where Stafford tries to throw the ball away, and it is intercepted in the end zone. Seattle gets the ball to 20, and Russell Wilson throws an interception. Jalen Ramsey tips the ball to Troy Reeder. Rams take over at their 48. The Rams could not take advantage. Strange play call. Rams third and 10, and they hand it off to Henderson and end up punting. From there, Seattle drove for the touchdown, helped out by a big pass interference call on Robert Rochelle. Russell to Metcalf, 7-0 Seahawks. Rams put together a nice drive. Sony Michelle comes in for Daryl Henderson, has a lot of nice pickups. Rams passing game is still a little bit off, in my opinion, though. They end up with a third and one from the Seahawk 12, and they can't punch it in, settle for the field goal. That makes it 7-3 Seattle. Seattle misses a field goal at the end of the half. That was after having a touchdown called back on a holding call. So the halftime score is 7-3. to three. 
my big takeaway from that first half was Rams had a first down at the Seattle 8. They had a third and one from the Seattle 12, and they came away with three points. And that was one of the things I talked about, keys to the game. You can't settle for field goals. You get in the red zone. You got to score touchdowns against a Seattle team, especially on the road. You're the better team. Do not do things that keep Seattle in this game. So they're not just keeping them in the game. Seattle actually has a lead at half, 7-3. to DraftKings Sportbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a Week 5 offer every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. By the way, the last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. This is your call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code T-P-P-N. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code T-P-P-N. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Second half, Seattle got the ball first. Their first drive comes to a crashing halt thanks to Terrell Lewis sacking Russell. Seattle punts great punt, downed at the four. Rams backed up, 96 yards to go. And what did they do? All of a sudden, they put it together. Stafford converts a third and three, a 20-yard pass to Woods. And then a 68-yard play. Stafford actually underthrows Deshaun Jackson. We've seen that a couple of times this year. This time, it works out. Jackson comes back to the ball, takes it down to the Seattle 12. And Daryl Henderson, a couple runs, punches it in. A 96-yard drive, but Matt Gay misses the extra point, clunks off the upright. Rams are up, though, 9-7. And then put a little salt on the wound there, Matt Gay. He kicks the ball out of bounds, and Seattle takes over at the 40. Things don't go well for the Seahawks. Wilson hurts his finger in a collision with Aaron Donald. Seattle has to punt. Rams take over at their 18, and Stafford just starts connecting with Robert Woods over and over again, and that drive culminates with a 13-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Higby. Extra point makes it Rams 16-7, with 4.46 left in the third quarter. At this point, Russell Wilson is still in the game, nursing a finger, though. Apparently, he's going to have trouble throwing the ball, and leads to a very quick Seattle punt. And then that leads to... One of the strangest plays I've ever seen, and as I mentioned in the introduction to this podcast, check out my pet peeve. It's very closely related to this play. A double punt by Seattle. Jameer Jones, one of the newest Rams, blocks the punt. It bounces off to the left. Michael Dixon picks it up and punts again. And the ball ends up on the Rams 10. These are the types of things that happen in Seattle's favor over and over again. Such a strange play. You should never have a punt blocked and benefit from the situation. But that's what happened. 
Two punts on the same play. Rams take over at the 10. Rams move the ball a little bit, but end up punting one of Johnny Hecker's best punts of the year down to the Seattle 2. Seattle, led by Geno Smith, drives 98 yards to make the game 16-14. to Can this game just be over, please? We're in the fourth quarter now, and that missed PAT is staring off the scoreboard at all of us Ram fans. Two-point lead in the fourth quarter at Seattle. Not fun. But the Rams get the ball back. Nice drive. Sony Michelle has a big blitz pickup on that drive. Cooper Cup has a couple big catches. Sony Michelle walks in for the touchdown, and we're back up 23-14. to And then for the second time, Matt Gay kicks the ball out of bounds. Seattle gets the ball at the 40. Geno Smith drives him into field goal range. Field goal makes it 23-17. Rams get the ball back on their own 22. Drain the clock a little bit. Drain Seattle's timeouts. And just before the two-minute warning, Matt Gay kicks the 46-yarder to basically close the game out. Rams up 26-17. Seattle had one last shot. Nick Scott ended that with an interception. And the Rams walk off with a 26-17 win, but a banged-up squad. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's get to some game notes. I will start out with our fearsome four big plays of the game. This was a strange game. There were a lot of big plays that ended up not really mattering that much. But I did narrow it down to four plays that I think were game changers, at least shaped how the game went and certainly contributed to the result. One was that penalty at the end of the first half. It looked like Seattle was going up 14-3, to but it was a valid call. It was a holding call. Brought it back, and then Seattle misses the field goal. So at 7-3 at halftime. Don't want to be in a 14-3 hole in Seattle at halftime. Similar sequence for the Rams. They're driving in to score. Stafford hits Van Jefferson. I think it was around the two-yard line. I think he was going to score. But the ball got on him quickly, and it went through his hands. And then that drive ended with the throwaway in the end zone that was intercepted. So both teams really missed out on good scoring opportunities there. The third one was that double punt. And in the end, it didn't really contribute directly to the final score. But had that punt been blocked and covered by the Rams, I think the game would have been over right there. The Rams were already leading 16-7. to And then he booms it down to the Rams' 11-yard line, was it? It was a big play that coulda, shoulda, woulda ended up going in Seattle's favor and kept him in the game for a little bit longer. But the biggest play of the game, as I alluded to earlier, was the Stafford to Jackson 68-yard play. The Rams were down 7-3, to had showed some signs of life on offense, but it really wasn't happening. Didn't have a good feeling about this game at that point. Glass was half empty for this Rams fan. And then this connection changed everything. Get through some game notes of interest. 
I wanted to mention that I think Tutu Atwell is looking very comfortable on those punt returns. And I think he's getting close to breaking one. He looks super dangerous back there. Looks very confident with the ball. I think our return game is in really good shape with Tutu back there. I still like the idea of Cup fielding those punts deep in our end. But when we have a chance to improve field position, I feel really good about Atwell being back there. I mentioned earlier that we came away with a win, but we might be kind of banged up. Darius Williams left the field. Last play of the game, Leonard Floyd looked dinged up. I'm going to harp on that a little bit in a second. Tyler Higby left the game for a while, and I thought I saw Austin Corbett crawling to his feet late in the game as well. The two biggest concerns, of course, are D. Will and Leonard Floyd. Hopefully they're both okay. Sean McVay gave game balls to Robert Woods and Aaron Donald. Both deservedly so. Donald, by the way, became the all-time Rams sack leader. In my mind, there's an asterisk there. He breaks Leonard Little's record. Now stands alone, officially. But there's a couple of guys from the good old days who might have an issue with that, namely Deacon Jones. I'll give some player props here. I wanted to call out Sony Michelle and Cooper Cup. Both had incredible blocks in this game. I thought this may have been a little bit of a coming out party for Robert Rochelle. Yeah, he got beat on the one play by one of the best vertical threats in the game, but he had his moments. Looks like he fits on this defense. I suspect he will be angling for David Long's job permanently. He'll probably get it. And is Terrell Lewis starting to step up or what? Man, he showed some stuff in this game. Really put some pressure on. And if he is that guy... If Terrell Lewis is that guy off the edge, along with Leonard Floyd, feel really good about this defense. And I got to call out one guy for a bad performance. Man, I've been singing the praises of Matt Gay up until today. I can live with a missed field goal. I can live with an occasional clunker off the upright, even on a PAT. But not those momentum-killing out-of-bounds kickoffs after your team scores. Unacceptable. I don't know what's going on with that. Coach's Corner, I wanted to call out two things. One, I think it was odd that the Rams didn't challenge that punt play. But in their defense, everybody, including the referee expert there for Fox, the entire booth, and even the referees in McVeigh on the field seemed to be thoroughly confused about the rule. I think he was considering challenging whether you're allowed to punt it twice or something to that effect. But what he should have challenged was he was across the line of scrimmage when he punted. At least I'm pretty sure he was. But I really wanted to call out both coaches, Pete Carroll and Sean McVay. It mostly falls on Pete Carroll. Those last two plays of the game, what are you doing? You're getting guys hurt is what you're doing. The game's over. Swallow your pride. Take a knee. Leonard Floyd is hobbling off the field on a meaningless down. And McVay, Sean... Maybe pull out some key guys. What are we worried about here? Get the Leonard Floyds of the world off the field. No excuse for that. I think both coaches, I'm not going to use the word. I'm not going to label them with a derogatory term here. I'm feeling too good about this win, but really bad on both coaches, that last sequence. My view on the refs, well, that wasn't roughing on Aaron Donald. I'll call BS on that. 
And that punt play, I don't know. League office has to get together on that. Number one, clarify to everybody what the rule is. And number two, fix it so that can't happen anymore. Again, listen to my pet peeve. It's kind of related. The announcers, we've already had this crew. We had them for the Tampa Bay game. I like them. They're good enough. I will add one note. They posted a graphic during a Seattle possession showing Justin Hollins as the Rams' starting outside linebacker. So get it fixed, guys. He's been out for a couple weeks. One thing I wanted to follow up on is my coach's corner segment from the Arizona game. In that segment, I address issues I had with coaching decisions. And the one thing I did call out was McVeigh's failure to use a timeout deep in Arizona territory after a big first down. They took the five-yard delay of game penalty when they still had three timeouts in their pocket. And I stand by that. I thought that was a clear error by McVeigh, and I think he's struggled with use of timeouts in the past. However, I've seen a lot of action online about three other decisions McVeigh made. One obviously was not challenging whether Stafford scored or not. Another was in the second quarter with 325 left in the half, down 21 to 10, fourth and goal from the four, and they settle for the 22-yard field goal. And the other was in the third quarter with 628 left, down 27-13, fourth and four from the 27, and they settle for a field goal attempt. Now, all three of these are debatable. I'm not going to say McVeigh made a mistake on any one of these. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, you can say, hey, you missed the field goal. Maybe you should have went for it. Hey, you're down by 11. Let's get a touchdown here instead of kicking a 22-yard field goal. Hey, your quarterback looked like he was in. Don't worry about saving a timeout. Challenge it. Let's get the six points on the board. But I can go either way on all three of those calls, and I can see the arguments either way. I saw the arguments online, statistically, analytically. McVeigh made the wrong decision. Their win possibility percentage went down 3% by kicking that field goal. Their win percentage went down 6% by not going for it. I get it, but I'm not going to sit here and call McVeigh out for those decisions. I will call him out for an obvious error he made, not calling a timeout when there's absolutely no reason not to. And to expand on our coach's corner, we usually don't talk about the coordinators, but Man, people were after Raheem Morris's head after this game against Arizona. I don't get it. Let's give the guy some time. There's been some changes on this defense. He's trying to put his stamp on it, perhaps. Maybe giving Jalen Ramsey a little bit too much freedom. A little bit of an overreaction. Our defense had a bad game against what might be the best offense in the league right now. Better now than later. I'm still in Raheem Morris's corner, hoping for the best. A couple more things on that Arizona game before we get back to this win over Seattle. Pro football focus grades. Van Jefferson kind of missed it. He had a great game. Six catches on six targets for 90 yards and a TD. Highest rated player on offense for the Rams. David Edwards and Rob Havenstein both graded well. They somehow gave Daryl Henderson a poor rating. I don't get that. 58.8. I thought he had a great game. 
I thought he had a great game against the Seahawks as well. And last word, Dodgers-Giants. Dodgers knock off the Cardinals. God, St. Louis must hate L.A. more than ever now. Chris Taylor with the game winner over the Cardinals. I love Chris Taylor. He's a lot like Kiki. Pure, old-school ball player. He can play practically anywhere. Takes the game extremely seriously. I don't think I've ever seen him smile until that home run the other night. Congratulations to the Dodgers. They go to San Francisco Friday and Saturday night games against the Giants and then back in L.A. on Monday and Tuesday. Next up are Week 5 game picks, and don't forget that pet peeve at the end. It's time for our Rams Up, Straight Up NFL Picks. Let's look at our Week 5 game picks. First, I have to tell you, I had another bad week last week. Week three, five games that could have gone either way all went my way. Week four, it was kind of the opposite. I ended up going seven and nine. Pete Prisco was nine and seven. Lorenzo Reyes was eight and eight. And Mike Florio had a good week, ten and six, three straight ten and six weeks for Mike. So I fall into third place. Lorenzo still leading the pack with 40 correct picks. Mike with 39. I have 37. And Pete has 35. And what do I got for week five? Well, you know how I pick Ram games. So I won't even discuss that. Jets at Falcons. This is a game that's going to get action on both sides. Games in London. I'm going to take the so-called home team, the Atlanta Falcons. Patriots at Texans. I'm going to take the Patriots. Texans had a horrible game last week. Not sure what to make of them. Titans at Jags. Titans bounce back from that loss to New York. Come back with a win. Dolphins at Buccaneers. Two Florida teams battling it out. I'm going to take the Bucks, even though I was disappointed in their showing last week. Saints at Washington. I will take the Washington football team. Lions at Vikings. I'll roll with the Vikings. Eagles at Panthers. Both teams hung in there against strong opponents last week and both wilted at the end. As you might know by now, Carolina is one of my sleeper teams and they have answered the call. I'm taking the Panthers in this one. Packers at Bengals. I'm going to roll with Green Bay. This is going to be a fun game. Be interesting. Aaron Rodgers versus Joe Burrow. Broncos at Steelers. Broncos, a little bit of fool's gold there, I think. Steelers are not a good team, as it turns out, but I'm going to take the home team, Pittsburgh. Bears at Raiders. Raiders bounce back after that thumping by the Chargers. Browns at Chargers. Game of the week, huh? Maybe. I'm going to go with the Chargers. I really like the way they're playing. Another fun game. have no idea where this is going, but could be a lot of Cleveland fans at the stadium there. I'll roll with the home team, the Chargers. 49ers at Cardinals. NFC West is strange. It seems like NFC West is so interesting. Rams have the Seahawks number. Niners have the Rams number. Rams up until last week had the Cardinals number. And the Cardinals usually have the 49ers number. And I think that continues Cardinals win in this one. Giants at Cowboys. Cowboys will roll. Bills at Chiefs. This is so important for the Chiefs to get a win here. This whole division 
is doing well. Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, all at three and one. Chiefs in last place at two and two. I think they find a way to win this game. Colts at Ravens on Monday night. I'll take the Ravens, although the Colts will hang with them. Kind of a coin toss game in my opinion, but I'll take Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. My survivor pick, I'm still alive. Things did not look good for me last week. I had the Bengals, but they bailed me out. Have taken no strikes in my two-strike league, and I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons over the Jets in London. Call me crazy. So far, I've gotten by without taking any of the real front runners, other than the Browns. Most of the teams I've taken are not teams that you're going to lean on very much in the Survivor League, and that continues with the Atlanta Falcons. If I can pull off another Survivor win with the Falcons, I will be sitting pretty. If I take a strike, not the end of the world. I'll just have to play it safe from then on. My bet of the week was Tampa Bay to cover against New England. That did not work out for me. My bet this week, I'm going to take Dallas to cover They're minus seven at home against the Giants. I think this could very well be a thrashing. Cowboys are cruising, looking like a very good team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Dallas minus seven over the Giants. Got a new sports pet peeve for you this week. I'm going to call for a rule change in college football and in the NFL. If you happen to be watching the Washington State Cal football game on October 2nd, I doubt many of you were, but if you were, you would have saw an interesting play. Early in the game, Washington State is leading 7-6. Cal forces a punt, and the punter for Washington State, who happens to be from Australia, takes the snap. It's one of those punt plays where he rolls to the right, hangs onto the ball a little longer than he should before punting, and Cal blocks the punt. The ball goes bouncing to the punter's left towards the sideline. A Washington State offensive lineman picks it up and runs for the first down. Now, my argument here is is that if you force a team to punt and they actually punt the ball, they should surrender possession unless the ball crosses the line of scrimmage, in which case if a punt returner or anyone on the return team downfield touches the ball, anyone can cover it. But if the ball never gets past the line of scrimmage off the punter's foot, in other words, if it's blocked, the punting team can cover it to prevent a return, but they should not be able to cover it and retain possession. In this play where the Washington State offensive lineman scoops the ball up and runs for a first down, it should be Cal's ball where he scooped the ball up. Play over, blow the whistle, Cal gets the ball. To me, that's the fair result, a logical result from a blocked punt. Now, if it's a third down punt, different story. You can scoop it up and run with the ball, and if you think that's odd... Back in the Tommy Prothero days, the Rams did punt on third down at times because their defense was so good and their offense was so atrocious. But back to this game, 
Fourth down, you punt, it gets blocked. You can cover it, but you do not retain possession. In this particular game, Washington State retained possession and drove for a touchdown to expand their lead to 14-6. to So that's my sports pet peeve of the week. Simple rule change will fix this. Don't expect it to happen. Maybe it will if something like this happens in a critical game at the NFL level or in the college championship playoffs, for example. No one notices Washington State versus Cal, unfortunately. This doesn't happen very often, but in the pursuit of fairness, they should really fix this. That's my sports pet peeve of the week. That's going to do it for this episode. Happy days in L.A. again. The Rams are 4-1. I have no new mistakes or omissions from recent episodes to share with you. We'll be back with our regular Monday morning drop. Rams do not have a game Sunday, but we'll find some good stuff to share with you. And good luck to those Dodgers. By the way, this is the first time the Dodgers and Giants have ever met in the playoffs. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating. It's really appreciated. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library, Crimson Fly by Hama Hama.